this morning we're going to wrap up this recalibrate series that we began in uh, mid-August, and we're going we're gonna to wrap it up by talking about how God recalibrates our worldview. I don't know if that's happened to you or not, uh, but for me, it was a dramatic process that God put me through to, to really open my mind, open my eyes, open my world to what He wanted to do in me and around the world. The event that kind of was the tipping point for me uh, took place um, well over a decade ago. Uh, I, I had been one of those guys who, who felt like I just needed to stay in the U.S. in order to do the ministry I was called. I, I'm very supportive of missions. We'd, you know, send money to missions. I'd commission work teams. You guys go over there. But hey, me, I'm staying here, all right? And, and I was doing that because uh, I had two sons, and, and I wanted to make sure that they were, like, old enough to take care of themselves that, you know, if I went somewhere and, and something happened bad. I mean, because, I mean, I grew up in this worldview where, I mean, nobody went overseas, okay? I mean, you just didn't do it. I mean, missionaries, special people, people God touched on the head and said, you're going to Africa, boy. You know, that, that kind of stuff happened, all right? But not me. Hadn't happened to me. And then the missions team here at Eastside started praying. All right? And, and they started praying right after we sent uh, a work camp over to the Ivory Coast to help build uh, the building in Yamasucro, Cote d'Ivoire. And then they came back. They're all like, Pastor, you got to go. I'm like, nope, sorry, not going, not happening. Mm-mm, not me. I'm just, y- y'all go. I'll pray for you. Uh, I'll, you know, we'll raise money, give you a check, send you over there. But hey, I'm staying here. I mean, and, and, and so I, I, um, I was kind of set in that. And then the thing I'd always told God was, when my sons get out of high school. And guess what? They did. I mean, it just, you know, and, and, and about the time they did, um, Larry and Leanne Sellers, from our staff missionaries in, in Cote d'Ivoire, contacted me and said, hey, we want you to come over, and it's going to be the 10th anniversary of the Church of God here. Eastside's been supporting us all 10 years. We want you to come and speak uh, at the celebration. Then we want you to take the next week and teach a class at this Bible Institute, and, and then have a few days, you know, and, and then come back to the States. And there was no way I could get out of it. I was like, okay. I got to go. I mean, the people in the church are praying. In fact, there were little old ladies in the church who came up to me and were like, hey, we're paying for you to go, all right? I'm like, I mean, mean, the money's there, the opportunity's there, and I'm like, okay, God, all right? So I go, and it's great. I mean, we get over there, and they've, I mean, they're, they're, Leanne Sellers is wonderful. She's making sure all the food I eat is not going to make me sick, all right? She's like, and when we had the big church dinner for the celebration, because they, they do, I mean, African pastors do like state pastors here in the States. We have potlucks, right? They have carrying it. Well, they're a little different than the mamas of the church. That's what they're referred to, ladies. Please don't get upset with me, all right? They're referred to as the mamas, and the mamas fix the food, all right? If you want to, those of you on campus, if you want to check me out on this, Larry and Leanne Sellers' daughter, Laura, is sitting over here, and I just embarrassed her by saying, this, but she can check me on all of this, okay? After service, meet her out outside, she'll tell you. I'm telling you the truth, okay? And so the mamas fix the food. It's big, huge vats. It looked to me, I mean, pots, big things over open fire of rice and chicken and fish and, and all of that. And, and, and if, you get, if you get a piece of fish with an eyeball in it, you have gotten the best piece of fish in Yamasukra, all right? I don't know about anywhere else, but in Yamasukra. And I, I got one. 
I got, I got one. I've never had one of those before, all right? And, uh, and, and I got one. Now, fortunately, Leanne had told me, now, when you get food, you don't know if you want to eat it or not, find a child and feed one of the children. That's, that's kind of the, the thing to do. So, you know, there's this little guy, always a little guy, and he comes on, and he's just like right up there next to me watching me. I'm like, would you like this? Mm-hmm. Here, go right ahead, you know. Just kind of slide it over to him, uh, let, let, let him have it. And so I, it was a great celebration. The, that week, the classes went very well. I mean, teaching from 8 o'clock in the morning till about 5 in the evening for Monday through Friday. And on Thursday, Thursday evening, as we're eating dinner, Larry says to me, one of the students, Pastor Yeo, okay, Pastor Emmanuel Yeo from Carogo, would like you to come up Sunday and speak at his church. And so I'm like, oh, I thought I was like done tomorrow. And, and he's like, well, you know, it, we could do it, and it'd still fit, and we'd still make your flight, and you'd still get a little, little beach time on the way before you come home. I'm like, okay, all right, yeah, works for me. And so we, uh, you know, the next morning we get up and we drive in a truck another five hours, I think it was, four or five hours, on, pat, on up to Corogo from where we were. And we get there after dark, and, um, and as we come in, we're going, Larry says, now we're going to stay in a, a Catholic uh, convent guest house type thing. There's some Catholic nuns. They open this place up for missionaries and people who are traveling through, and you'll stay there. Now, the further we got into Africa, you got to understand, the more we get into the Ivory Coast, the further we're there, the, the, I, I, I'm looking around. Remember, I'm the guy whose worldview is very narrow, right? And I get there, and, and I grew up in Mississippi, and, 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 and I, grew up, I grew up where, honestly, in my high school, African-American people outnumbered Caucasian people, all right? So I'm, that's not a problem. I'm, I'm culturally, I'm doing it. But the further I got in, into that, the more I realized Larry and I are the only people from the United States that we're seeing. And nobody looks like me. And nobody talks like me. And then, and, and then, we, and then we get into this, this place where we're going to stay in the guest house. And as we're walking toward the guest house, um, the lady says something in French, and, and Larry kind of giggles. Uh, it, it, with Larry, it's not a giggle. It's kind of a chuckle. Kind of, <laughs> you know? and, and he says, uh, by the way, somebody stole the piping off the water tower. I said, they did what? Well, there's no running water. When, when you get to this room, they're going to give you one bucket that is for you to wash in, one bucket, which is for you to flush the toilet with. Don't mix the two buckets up, Carrie. Like, okay, all right. And so we, we, we get in, and, and that, but he said, but the, we're staying here because there's air conditioning. Oh, there was air conditioning. I was so excited. There's air conditioning because it's hot. And I'm like, all right. So we get in, and that, you know, we settle in, and I, I use the right bucket to wash my hands and my face and, and change. And, and I get into the bed, and I put the mosquito net that they had there over me, and I crank the air conditioning, and I'm laying there, and I'm like, yes, this is worth all the ride up here. This is so good. Just air conditioning, God. Thank you for air conditioning. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit started talking to me. Or maybe it was not his spirit. Maybe it was the other spirit. Because what happened was I started feeling guilty. I started feeling shame. I'd met all these people who, who quite honestly didn't have air conditioning. I'd met all these people whose, whose lifestyle was so much lower than having air conditioning. And, and they just, and, and, and I'm there and little old ladies have paid for me to go on the trip. And, and I'm laying there and I'm, I'm consuming all this electricity. And I'm consuming all this air conditioning. And I'm like, I can't do this. And at midnight, I turn it off. 
I just turn off the air conditioning because I'm guilt-ridden. I mean, I'm, I'm horrible. I'm a horrible person. I'm, I'm using all, and, and then I'm laying there in the bed, and it started. I mean, it wasn't two or three minutes until I turned the air conditioner off that I started hearing drums, drums beating. Now, for those of you who are younger than me, you're going, yeah, big deal. No, no. In my generation, see, I grew up watching Tarzan movies. I grew up watching those horrible stereotypes that the cinema people here in the States have created about Africa, all right? Horrible stereotypes. But, but I'm laying there, and I'm already feeling guilty, and now I start hearing drums, and then I'm scared to death because I'm thinking, they're coming to get me, all right? These people have seen me come in with Larry. They know Larry. They don't know me, and they're, gonna, they're, they're coming after me. I, I mean, this, this, I'm being this honest. I'm confessing to you. These are not good thoughts. They're not right. I'm just telling you what was going on in my brain at midnight in Corogo, in Cote d'Ivoire, in West Africa for my first time, and I'm scared to death. And the longer I laid there, the more my mind went crazy. And, and, and the, long, the more it went crazy, the more afraid I got. And, and then suddenly, suddenly the Holy Spirit, I, I know this was the Holy, the Holy Spirit said, Hey, Kerry, could you hear the drums when the air conditioner was running? Uh, no. Turn the air conditioner back on. Okay. And I turned the air conditioner back on. And I slept through the night. The next morning, the next morning, I, I, I get up. I use the right bucket again, and I wash up, and I meet Larry outside the door, and we're going to breakfast. And I said, Larry, did you hear the drums? He says, no. I said, Larry, there were drums. He goes, Carrie, I've been in Africa 10 years. I, dr drums, I don't know what the drum, uh, drums, I don't care, not, not a big deal. I'm like, man, I'm telling you, they're drums. They know I'm here. They're, they're coming for me, Larry. I'm just telling you right now. And, and as we, he, the, one of the nuns comes up, and, and he says something to her in French, and she just kind of calmly repeats. And he says, I asked her about the drums. I said, really? And he goes, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, see, Carrie, she said, it's, it's, the, <laughs> it, it's the nightclub next door. I said, it's the what? It, they have a discotheque right next door. And it's Ramadan right now, Carrie. And in Ramadan, Islamic people fast all day long. And then when the sun goes down, they party. I heard a party. I'm laying in my bed, scared to death, thoughts going all through my mind because of my bad paradigm, because of my narrow worldview. There weren't any discotheques in those Tarzan movies. I never had a missionary come into the church, my dad pastor, with pictures of the discotheque in Africa. But they were there. In fact, I made Larry drive around and show it to me just to prove they were right. And can I let you know? It started a process of opening my whole world, my whole worldview. And I tell you that story. Because we're talking about recalibrating worldviews. And I want to tell you a story from the Bible. A story from the book of Acts. Just like the others we've been looking at for this last six weeks. Uh, a story about a man whose, whose worldview gets changed. A, a man who is willing to let God change his worldview. A man we've already been talking about, his name is Philip. He, he was a Hellenistic Jew who became a convert to Christianity. And out of his character and his devotion to Jesus Christ, he was chosen along with six other men to be the people who fed the widows of the Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost. 
And he, he became a man that God filled in such a way that if you've been listening to us or you've been here the last few weeks, you know that, that God used Philip to do miracles, to heal people, to, to do amazing things in Samaria, this area outside of Jerusalem. It's this area in another part where the people were not, they, they shared a, a kind of a version of Judaism, and they were looking for a Messiah, but, but, but it was, it was the, the, the divide between Jews and Samaritans was, was ugly, ugly bad. And God used him to bring Jesus to people that he would have despised before he met Jesus. And the reason I want to tell you this story today, the reason I want to read you this story is because I believe that recalibrating our worldview requires us to be open to leave the familiar for the unfamiliar. It requires us to leave the things we know to go into the places we don't know. Now, not just the geological places, not just the physiological places, but, but literally the emotional places. And right now, I, I happen to have a belief growing in my soul that out of all of the social unrest, all of the, out of all of the institutional racism, out of all of the COVID-19 pandemic experience, maybe, just maybe, what God is going to do out of all of this pain and all of this suffering is to take the church and take individual Christians and maybe even allow us to impact the people around us so that the entire world gets a brand new recalibrated worldview. And instead of seeing one another through antagonism and hate and, and seeing the other, we begin to see God at work in us. And we begin to realize that the things we brought to the table, the worldview we had, the, the narrow view we had, it's not the view of the Bible. It's not the view of God. So listen to the story of Philip. After he's been in Samaria, now he's back in Jerusalem along with Peter and John and, and the rest of the disciples, and, and he's there celebrating what God's done in the Samaritans, right? I mean, these people who were kind of like cousins to the Jews, God's been reaching out to them, and, and then God takes him to a whole new place. Watch. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a, a eunuch, a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the Scripture that he was reading from Isaiah was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azathus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Now, this story is one of my favorites because I believe in Philip's reaction and his actions. We find a pattern. We find a way for us to deal with the kind of hurt and anger and dysfunction that's running rampant in our society right now. Because from these earliest days of Christianity, as, as, as God begins to call Philip and all of us away from the familiar to the unfamiliar, he does it in such dramatic fashion. So let's look at the Scripture and, and see what it, what it means. The angel said to the, of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And Philip rose and went. There was an Ethiopian. I want to stop right there, okay? Hang with me for a minute because this is important. For those of you who thought that Christianity was a Western, European, Caucasian religious system, you're wrong. From the earliest days, from this day in the book of Acts, but even earlier, Christianity has always been a diverse, multicultural experience of God. An Ethiopian is a black man. You go to Ethiopia, he's a black man. Philip is a Hellenistic Jew, which means that he is of Middle Eastern descent. His, his skin tone is, if you're Caucasian, it's, it's darker than yours. If you're black, it's lighter than yours. And by the way, he's more than likely not the tallest guy in the room. He kind of would fit in my family, all right? And, and so here's Philip who's been raised primarily in, in an intellectual urban area. That's probably a part of why he was chosen to help distribute the, 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 the food. And now he's back in Jerusalem celebrating what God's done, and God sends him into the desert, to the road in the desert, and says to him, I want you to go down there. And God's already got it orchestrated that the first person he sees is a black man, but not just any black man. Look, he was a eunuch. Now, you're going to look at me and say, now, pastor, what do you mean you're getting in a, a eunuch is someone who either by design of the culture or by an abnormality of birth is, is, has been castrated. For those of you who were raised on a farm, you understand it. For those of you from the city, look it up, all right? And, and so this, this man, a eunuch, was normally used allowed to be a part of culture to protect the bedroom of women because he had he wasn't gay that was not the issue this is not a, a justification for the lgbtq lifestyle which is not in this passage what is in this passage is that this man who due to his physical dysfunction either by design or by birth was allowed certain places in the culture of the time. And one of those was to protect the women of the culture, to be the guard of the bedroom. Literally, the word eunuch means bedroom guard. And so this, this Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah, 
It's actually Isaiah 53. And if you keep reading in Isaiah 56, the, the prophet's word from God makes a, an allowance for eunuchs to actually have faith and have a part in the Jewish faith. But in the culture of that time, it wasn't allowed. And in the culture of that time, the, in Jerusalem, there were places in the temple a eunuch was not allowed to go because of his physical abnormalities. And so that culture had him separated. He couldn't be a proselyte. He couldn't become a Jew, but he could be a God-fearer. He could be someone who, who could learn about God. And that's what he's doing as he's reading the prophet Isaiah. But also, I want you to understand that he's not just a black man with a physical abnormality who's been given this role in society. No, out of that role in society, he has moved to the place where he is part of the political structure in Ethiopia. He is a court official of the queen of the Ethiopians. And by the way, Candace was just a, a, a term that was used for, that, for the queen of the Ethiopians because in Ethiopia, the king was the, actually the son of the queen. And the son of the queen was considered so close to being a god that he couldn't be troubled with human beings. So the queen mother, if you would, the Can Candace, that's a title actually, the Candace of the Ethiopian culture was one who was in charge of everyone. She made the rules. This man is a highly placed, powerful black man in a very wealthy culture. You say, what do you mean? Well, he's in charge of her treasure. Well, what's her treasure, Pastor? Well, in Ethiopia in the first century, they were mining gold. In Ethiopia in the first century, when this story is taking place, Ethiopia is one of the most powerful, wealthiest places in the world, not just Africa. And here God sends Philip, who's familiar with Judaism, who's familiar with Jerusalem, who's familiar with people like him. And God says, no, I want you to go down to the desert road. I want you to do whatever I tell you to do. And so God starts taking him from what's familiar to the unfamiliar. And when he gets there, he, he hears this hugely successful black man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, I want you to get this picture, and this is why, for those of you who are wondering, those of you who, who, are, who are trying to figure out how does the church bring some, some help to the culture we're living in right now, to the divide that's there, how, how can we do it? First of all, it's going to require all of us having a willingness to let God take us from the familiar to the unfamiliar, but it's not enough to do that. See, you can't show up in the unfamiliar saying, hey, let me tell y'all how it really is. That's the problem with a lot of us as Christians, we hit the culture like, hey, we got all the answers because the answer is Jesus. No, listen, if the answer is Jesus, then we've got to learn how Jesus works. And look what happens in this one, okay? So, what takes place is that he's there and he's in an unfamiliar place and recalibrating your worldview allows you to run alongside people who are different from you. If you really, if you want to get this picture, that's why I love this story. So here's this, get, get the picture. Here's this short Jewish guy who speaks Hebrew and Greek. And he hears this Ethiopian, large black man in a wealthy, powerful guy, regal robes, all the trappings of success. 
and he's got probably a servant reading it out loud to him because that was the custom to, to read that. And he's reading in Greek, so it's not just the Hebrew, it's actually the Septuagint because if you take this passage and compare it to the Old Testament manuscripts, it's the Greek translation of the Old Testament that he's reading from. And as he's doing that, here comes this little Jewish guy running alongside the chariot. And, and the Ethiopian is so, he is so wrapped up in the story. He's so trying to figure out what God is doing. He, he doesn't notice the little Jewish guy. And I love this. The little Jewish guy is just running alongside the chariot. Now, some of you are going, Pastor, why is that such a big deal? Because that's exactly how God takes Christian people into a non-Christian world and makes an impact. He doesn't ask us to go charging in with lances throwing and arrows shooting and guns blazing and, and diatribe going. He asks us to come alongside people who are different from us, to run alongside them and be available. It's called a ministry of presence. And what what God is doing to recalibrate our worldview is not just taking us from the familiar to the unfamiliar, but when we get to the unfamiliar, He's saying, look, I just want you to go and listen. I want you to go and run alongside. Because if you will go and run alongside, look what happens in this Scripture. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? You see, when, you, when you're willing to run alongside, and, and then you come to a moment where you're willing to ask the question. Because when God recalibrates your worldview, He, he lets us risk asking the questions of understanding. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you know what you're saying? Do you know what's going on? If you're, you can't ask that question if you're not near the person. If you don't know what they're struggling with, you want to you bring some healing to the divide in our nation right now? You want to bring some healing to the community you live in? Then be a person who comes and runs alongside the people who are near you until there's a moment when you can risk asking the question, asking the questions of understanding that create opportunities for enlightenment. Because those questions create opportunities for enlightenment to happen, and enlightenment brings healing. Enlightenment brings understanding. Enlightenment brings the power of God to work. Look. Look what happened in the Scripture. The Ethiopian said, how can I, how can I understand unless somebody guides me? And he invites Philip. So now you have the powerful government official from Ethiopia inviting the Hellenistic Jew who's been running alongside. By this time, I'm thinking, you know, I mean, I, I have no idea how long Philip ran alongside that, that, that chariot. Maybe a mile, maybe two, maybe three. I don't know. Long enough to hear what's going on. Ask the question, how long, do you, how long do you have to run alongside someone who's from a different place racially than you? As long as it takes. How long do you have to run aside someone who's from a different background than you sociologically? As long as it takes. As long as it takes for you to hear their heart and them to invite you. Notice, Philip never said, hey, can I get in the chariot? Hey, can I, can I, can I, can I get up in the chariot with you? I, I can tell you that. I can do it. All Philip did was, hey, man, you understand what you're reading? You understand it? 
And it was the Ethiopian who asked the Hellenistic Jew up into the chariot. Oh, friends, listen to me. There is such an opportunity for the church right now to be the people of God if we will go into unfamiliar places, leaving behind the familiar places, and if we will run alongside the people who are different than us and listen to their hearts and listen to what's happening until they invite us in. And when they invite us in, we don't go in to say, hey, here, I got it all. Do you know some of the people I've learned the most from in my life? The pastors who were in that class that I taught on the 10th anniversary of the Church of God in Cote d'Ivoire. Pastor Daniel was a part of that class whom many of you at Eastside have met who passed away a few years ago. And I was honored to preach his funeral. Pastor Sukolo, pastor in Platform, Cote d'Ivoire. Pastor Emmanuel Yeo, the pastor in Corogo. These men, these men and others around the world have taught me. They've opened my eyes. They've let me see the world in a different way. Why? Because when you ask the questions of understanding, they create opportunities. They create opportunities for people. And when you do that, you wait. And so when he reads Isaiah 53, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, then he opened his mouth and began teaching the man with the question who Jesus really is. About the fact that that scripture was written hundreds of years before Jesus walked the face of the earth, and yet it, it tells exactly how he died. That he willingly went to the cross. That he suffered for us, that he died on the cross, that he was buried in a tomb, that he was resurrected on the third day, that he came to teach his disciples and open their minds and let them know exactly who he was and how much God loved them. He now had an opportunity to tell a man from a totally different culture and a totally different race and a totally different language system and a man of power and influence and wealth about who Jesus was. He'd have never gotten that if he stayed in Jerusalem. He'd have never gotten that if he hadn't refused to do where God wanted him to go. I don't know who it is God wants you to run alongside in your life, but I know this. If you'll run alongside them, if you'll leave the familiar for the unfamiliar, run alongside them, risk asking the questions of understanding that create the opportunities for people to grow, then you get to this place where you get to tell people about who Jesus really is. And what happens here? is that God then begins recalibrating not just your worldview, but theirs. And the result? The result is that other people commit themselves to following Jesus Christ. They commit themselves to it. Listen to the story again. So they're going along the road. They come to some water in the middle of a desert, by the way. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. 
And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azathus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. I love the fact that this man, upon hearing who Jesus is, stops the chariot, looks at Philip and says, look, there's water in the middle of the desert. What's going to keep me from being baptized? What's going to keep me from doing this? And so he, he gets out, royal robes and all, coming down. I, I can just have this visual image of this little Jewish guy and this big, rich, powerful African getting off of the chariot and walking into the water. And then the little guy reaching up and taking the big guy and dipping him under the water. And what I know is this. It only happens when you're willing to let God recalibrate your worldview.